You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Good evening, Vixies. This is your co-host of the Voluntary Vixens podcast, Maddie, joined again by my heroic and recovered, <laughs> recovered post-COVID co-host, Jesse. Those horse medicines really work. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> Jesse, you're such a dog. I I know. Yeah. So if we get interrupted by any uh, animal noises tonight, I'll make sure Cam and Ryan. Um, you know, remove those because we can't have any false illusions. So tonight, guys, we are joined by somebody that, you know, if if you've been um pretty active on the Twitter front, you may have come across him by now. I know I've retweeted him. Jesse probably has, too, um, if you follow us. But I want to introduce you all to Dr., if we can call you that, Dr. Mark Changizi. Not a medical doctor. Not a medical doctor. Yeah, but you're a PhD. So I know what I'm talking about, about <laughs> anything. And I can't do public policy or make any moral or ethical or scientific decisions about this. I should just keep my mouth shut. Well, we think you've got some important things to say, but no, that's definitely something that uh, I'm sure you've been told all year. And, um, you know, Jesse gets reminded that even though Jesse's a nurse and, you know, has years of experience you know, actually treating patients and working alongside doctors and, you know, sick people of all walks and shapes of life. She knows nothing because she's not a doctor or a virolo- virologist, epidemiologist. She doesn't work for the CDC. She doesn't work for INIH. So, no, of course you guys know nothing. And then I'm not none of the above, so I really know nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> but um, I'd say we're all fairly observational creatures and i in particular wanted to reach out to you um after after i saw that you were attainable uh and could uh delve into the podcast world i caught you on uh, the lions of liberty podcast and i was like oh my gosh well i followed this guy all year and he's got incredibly insightful things to say and now i actually have the opportunity to talk to him so i guess mark do you want to Tell like I'd love to hear. It's almost funny because um like our show is sort of political, but really like more cultural. And you know both of those have been completely reshaped after this past year, year and a half or so, from anything that we really thought we knew um prior. And so we're really kind of just like a like a pro freedom show, <laughs> and. Yeah. And how to find such freedom in these unfree times and in this unfree world. And I mean, I think that also really ties into a, I'll let you speak, but um, like the the free expression project that you're a part of. Yeah. Well, I mean, just as a background for those that don't know me, you know, know, I'm a scientist who is sort of a math physics kind of uh, a guy, PhD was math, undergraduate was physics. My first you know, job as a professor was teaching computer science. And then I was sort of a neuroscience postdoc. I went to Caltech. I was sort of a Sloan Swartz theoretical neuroscientist. So I've been, but I did that kind of math and science so that one day I could kind of study the deep questions in cognitive science and, and, and you know, sort of deep philosophical questions. So I'm almost more like a philosopher scientist all right, so some technical difficulties there. We just lost you there for a moment, but you were really getting into it. Yeah, we I think I presume you probably just have to restart everything, huh? Well, so I guess like, I'll, and just as maybe a reflection or a place to jump back into it, um, Jesse and I were just reflecting on what you said about um, kind of go back to like study and learn 
all this math and science and analytics so that you could end up having like deeper um, philosophical questions and have a greater understanding of like this incredibly complex world and um, maybe have a better understanding of why we are the way we are. Yeah, I was going to loop it back into sort of the COVID situation, but yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think um, like that's exactly like part of it. Uh, I think, um, and maybe you know the same way we were joking about how you know you're not a medical doctor or an epidemiologist, and therefore like you can't have any kind of opinion whatsoever, or how again you know we're all just limited to what our degree might be and or what our, our degrees might be in. And so that whole idea of just like a myopic worldview focusing on only solely like one problem and not seeing the greater picture and how this all works and how you really like mess up one mechanism or one part of the system are, are very complex, like ecosystem and and just um, the mechanisms of our culture, like how one little disruption is really just like a ripple that kind of will we're going to see the side effects and negative impacts from this in all kinds of ways for just generations yeah i mean working in a background where one understands sort of humans human evolution how society is structured these kinds of complex emergent structures that are both found in biology and in ecosystems and in societies so, you know, at the beginning of this, I was crying out and I have been crying out, you know, for a year and a half, sort of on two sides, on the, on the sort of intervention economic side, mm -hmm. uh, it was just, you know, I, I had a, a sort of a viral 15 reasons lockdowns were, you know, never common sense, and that was in, in April. And these were reasons that were known prior to lockdowns, you know, I, I wasn't sort of, we knew a little bit more by, and all of these things are like all the kinds of repercussions, both moral and economic side effects, and all of these, which it just blew my mind um, that these things, that there were people that thought that you can just do a utilitarian calculus with one thing in it, COVID deaths. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still, even today, one of these uh, 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 sort of uh, baton twirlers in the, in the uh, <laughs> in panic world is, is saying, what do you mean there's anything else? No, we've, we've shown for sure that there's only one thing that you should consider. Everything should be about zero COVID and then you optimize everything. She actually says this full, you know. Oh my God. It just doesn't realize how absurd it is. So that's the, you know, someone that has a, has a background in data science and emergence, you know, uh, systems has an understanding that you can't just treat it as a one-dimensional, uh, uh, in one-dimensional way like that. But the other side that I've been screaming, screaming about and is really more that's more unique to me is the societal, psycho-societal uh, uh, issues that are involved. And that, you know, and another sort of, I've had it pinned almost for a year and a half, is that the moral of coronavirus-19, which is back on March 17th of 2020, the moral of coronavirus-19 will be that uh, social contagion uh, in social networks is much more dangerous uh, than viral contagion or biological contagion. Mm -hmm. The kinds of things that wreck society and kill the most humans are always these kinds of mass madness of crowds that spreads through these memes that that go through people uh, like wildfire. And it's uh, true whether it's uh, the Cultural Revolution in China or Iranian uh, sort of Cultural Revolution and or or, or, or Nazi or, or or here we see all the similar very there's all these different differences, but that's just whipped cream on top in terms of the details. The similarities are these kinds of mass hysterias and the righteous indignation and these narratives that come and then the virtue signals that are displayed and the unclean people who are the enemies, all of these things are found in all of these cases. And there's a lot of empirical understanding now of the kinds of things that happen. And we at FreeX, I started a research institute earlier this year, which is trying to have a mathematico-psychological understanding of why we end up with exactly these sorts of, uh, these sorts of of properties at the societal, these emergent properties that keep happening this way. And how can you understand it better? How could you roll back these sorts of narratives to unwind it? There's probably, I, I, there's, there's good reasons to think it's not, un, it's not unwindable um, or wind backable. Mm -hmm. Minimize the chances of these things in the future. How could you possibly do that? But these are the most <clears throat> dangerous events that, that historically humans have had to deal with. And we are gonna have to deal with it forever into the future. And much more so because now it's not just some third world country which whips itself into some frenzy and kills some subpopulation of the 
the whole world is now simultaneously um, under one uh, madness. Yep. Yep. That's uh, <laughs> frightening. <laughs> um, but <sighs> so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I guess uh, you said you started your research group um, or this project, uh, Free Expression, just earlier this year, or was that last year as well? It was actually this year, somewhere in February or March, we went ahead and launched it. The free, freex.group is the website. It's the Free Expression Group. It's just a research institute, really. Uh, and uh, it comes out of the kinds of research that my colleague, Tim Barber, and I have been working on for the last decade. Well, really, our whole lives in some sense, but the last decade has led to a book that will come out next year called Expressly Human. It's about the origins of emotional expressions in all social animals. So it's both why we have the emotional expressions that we do, their use and function, but it also undergirds our emotional expressions is how we bet social capital. If I'm, you know, all the time when you're being a little bit, um, uh, if you're a little bit ornery or proud or being a little, say, no, I, I think you're wrong, Matt, Maddie, you don't know what you're talking about. Now I'm being a little disdainful. I say, do you know who I am? I'm a doctor and you're not a doctor, whatever. Now I'm showing a little pride. When I do either of those things, I'm pushing reputation onto the table um, with these emotional expressions. If I'm conciliatory in some way, either I'm showing humility or I'm being respectful to you, I'm maybe pulling off a little bit of social capital. I'm sort of, I'm doing the opposite. But these sorts of things then get, turns out if I'm right, then I win social capital from you. I win your reputation or you win my reputation, depending on how many, all of these reputations get traded. These currencies get traded by virtue of these sorts of interactions. And these are emotional, ex emotionally expressive interactions. That's what undergirds social interactions is these exchanges of reputation that is, that's done by basically bets of social capital. And the bets of social capital are done by ex emotional expressions. So the next step is, you know, this book is mostly about the origins of emotional expressions, which, what is the space, how do they work? But how reputation networks are undergirded and how we slowly society moves towards the truth is because some folks rise in reputation because they're right a lot or they bluff their way in getting people to fold. Mm. Wait, don't you dare disagree. Do you know what? I'm your boss. And then you back down. You go, okay, okay. So you folded in that case and you may have lost. And slowly I rise and rise. But like if I keep doing that eventually, you, I might get called on it and then I get really humiliated, right? So there's, you, this is how proper reputation networks work. This is how we come to learn the truth. This is why we all believe what we believe. We believe it because we are in a network where there's higher reputation folks that we believe what they say because they're high reputation. And, um, what, and so if we want to understand what went wrong in March of 2020, <laughs> uh, people often ask me, why didn't you end up to be, and why, why are some people susceptible to this mass hysteria that happened? Is it because they're smarter? No, I don't think it's because they're smart. You, as you've seen over the last, a lot mm -hmm. of the smartest people know, it could be counter-correlated. Mm -hmm. Is it because they're higher, edu more educated? I think that's probably counter-correlated because they're, when you're high, more highly educated, you're part of these uh, you know, polarized communities, which are typically far left, especially university. Um, it's the only thing that I, I think that would actually explain it is basically your position within the network. Wherever you happen to sit within the network, uh, is going to 99% of the time determine what you think because we all believe what we believe on the basis of the network of the people that are around us. That's how we, um, I, the saying the internet, I'm wondering if I should turn off the video so it just keeps it from causing problems and then we keep the audio. What do you think? Yeah, that sometimes works better. Yeah. I've just killed my, my video. Okay. Maybe it's, <clears throat> so yeah, the, the next book, <laughs> the next, this next book, that after expressly human will be the product of what we're working on at FreeX, which is working on the emergent properties of one. Now that we understand how emotional expressions work as these bets of social capital and they undergird how reputation networks work and how narratives, your narrative versus my narrative in opposing communities, how, how these things work. And they in fact work a lot like blockchains of cryptocurrency. In fact, there's all these analogies and it's not, it's actually because in some sense, when they thought of blockchains, the way they thought about these de decentralized currencies with no <clears> bank <throat> overseeing them is the same way that tribes have to deal with decentralized reputation currencies because there's no bank of, everybody has to sort of keep track of the gossip in the community and figure out, oh yeah, well, Madeline said this bull crap to Jesse and Jesse 
was like really nice about it, but Madeline just kept saying the shit. And then <laughs> turns out Madeline was wrong. And they're all gossiping about that and remembering the last week's stuff that you lost reputation, right? And that gets added to the new narrative. And, and then it turns out you were right about, you know, whatever it was, it was peaches and you thought they were not ripe. And it turns out they were right. That all of this stuff gets added and added and added. And th that gets added to the narrative. And it's really hard to turn back for a lot of the same reasons that blockchains are hard to turn back. In fact, proof of, of work proof has, has analogies to uh, coming up with a good uh, explanation. Proof of stake is inherently, proof of stake is one of these ways that you check to see whether the new block of transactions in cryptocurrency is, and proof of stake is basically the high reputation people within that cryptocurrency network or, or amongst the miners. Anyway, there's all these analogies people have noticed before, but it turns out when you actually focus on them, you can, it gives you bad reasons or good reasons for thinking that you can't unwind these, these narratives. So there's a lot, all of this kind of societal strife, tyranny sorts of stuff that we care about, uh, we can begin to get at, get at in, uh, from a more mathematical side, but founded on the origins and understanding of sort of, of what emotional expressions are for social animals. And so that's what we're working on now at FreeX. Oh man, like, save us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that... or, or I can, I'll be able to prove why we're unstable. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, well, there is um, definitely something about like people in groups. It's like the it's like you just kind of and we've talked about this before, me and Maddie, like how collectives work because it is sort of like in order to make the collective work, in order to make it be cohesive, you have to sort of sacrifice some of your own beliefs, some of maybe your own opinions just or maybe just hold things in so that the group can all be together. But at the same time, you're kind of dumbing everyone down to try and just stay together. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess I lean more towards it being a bad thing. But is that yeah. sort of what you're seeing? Well, and, it, and it, it, there, there's ways of talking about it. Um, there's ways of talking about it, which can sometimes, the way that you said it right now, so it's like, and, and of course, what you said sometimes explicitly happens where you might be in within a group and you don't fully agree with what they think and you hold back. And I think that, of course, that happens sometimes. Um, but a lot of the time when you are in a group, uh, you may have been the type not to believe that sort of thing. But now that you're in a group, often it's the case that you just really, truly do come to believe it. And you believe it for the reasons that we all believe things, because the people in your group, the, re the reason that you're in there, that group, I mean, we're talking about sort of a larger social network where there's high reputation people. They're, you're convinced because all these high reputation around people, you know, it, to the extent that you might not be believing is because you have other sources in some other network, let's say, that are, you mm -hmm. think are they're cool and like they've got good things to say. But if you don't have those people, then you're going to start believing what that group thinks. And that group will come usually with some moral righteousness that if you should believe the things that are in this, because in fact, there is a should. The whole point of being part of a tribe and having a reputation is that the reputation should mean something. And when the people that have high reputations around you believe X and you decide, and especially if you're not high reputation, if you decide not to believe X, there's a moral uh, connotation to that. Who are you to look at my high status sort of rep and, and disregard that, right? So often you'll be browbeat into it. And it's th that's not to suggest that, oh, I really don't believe it, but I'm going to pretend. No, you just end up believing it because that's how humans believe things. That's why we believe things. And let me give you another example. Sometimes we like to look at the other side, all sides look at the other side and say, surely they know that the interventions aren't working. They just know it, but they're too afraid to admit it because they'll be humiliated, right? <laughs> and that's, it is probably true at some level that narratives like the, at the emergent level, the narrative knows it's wrong. Mm. It, no individual necessarily does. But, you know, I, but in reality, what happens is that no, the, nobody in the narrative knows that at all. They believe what they believe, not because, I mean, they really are at risk of humiliation. If they were, if the narrative turned out to be completely shown to be bankrupt, everybody in that whole thing would lose massive uh, a, a reputation relative to the, you know, in the larger reputation network of everybody rather than just the sort of the, that reputation currency. But that's not why they're sticking to their guns. They're sticking to their guns because they really believe it. And um, mm -hmm. it can be hard to, to rec these are these things like, you know, I want to have sex. Is it because I'm a, like, I'm attracted to body parts or whatever? Or is it because I evolved for millions of years to 
to be, you know, these, one is, a, is an evolutionary explanation as to how we came to have the innate, you know, uh, proclivities that we have. And the other is sort of the proximal stimulus of there being some body part in front of me that attracts me, right? These are, one is more of a, a kind of an evolutionary story as to why we do what we do. The other is a proximal story of something. So these are the kind, these kinds of differences and all, all of these sorts of, these kinds of emergent selection kinds of processes thinking can be complicated in that way because there's often a proximal level story and a, and a more, and a deeper story that's true, the true real, true explainer of what's going on. Mm. I'll turn back <laughs> on the video here. I think it's, it makes a better conversation and see. It's definitely more fun to see you. Yeah. Um, so, God, I mean, it's it's funny and it's interesting, and um, I'm very glad we're having this conversation because I am somebody that um really appreciates like and studied back in school, um, just human evolution. Um, I was also a Spanish minor, so like the overall just development of the human language and how that um related to the growth in our in our species population and the migration and just how we all kind of <laughs> came to be the way we way we are um i think a lot of a lot of the it's i'm not the person to say this at all and it's not an uncommon thing to say but you know that people today really don't have any kind of appreciation for just every bit of every step of the way of like an evolutionary process that brought us to this place in this time. And so, you know, you got to be grateful. Like we are, we are where we are now, right? Even if it is in clown world extreme, because, you know, we're still in a place in time where we can and, sh and should, you know, be free to do what we want to do as long as, you know, we're not hurting other people or taking their stuff or hurting their property. But, um, I mean, the very notions of free will are being questioned and more so than I think like atheists like to yell at the Catholic Church and, you know, it, it was all, you know, it's just, I don't know, there's, and you're not, and uh, you might agree about this or not, but like it's, and you might have even kind of alluded to it, like just how there's like this religiosity. And so... <laughs> <laughs> you telling us about like the deep mechanistic processes going on behind the scenes on such a subtle level. Like, I mean, it confirms that I, I like we're part of what is sort of somewhat like of a spiritual war going on. And it's like all these undercurrents that you don't see and you don't normally feel unless you're really paying attention to them all, but they're evil. Mm -hmm. maybe think, evil's evil's not a scientific way to say it but well yeah i mean i i think that unfortunately the evils that i mean evil it, in some sense i know this before this but this you know after this covid thing has happened we i think all of us can feel it in our bones in ways that mm -hmm. i think there's a sense in which most of us most of the time think of evil as the movie character that is sort of one-dimensionally evil De ted bundy or some kind of serial serial killer and you know most evil that happens at the societal level usually isn't like that um we often paint the enemy evil person in a way that makes him or her like that mm -hmm. but it's often you know the evils that were done in these 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 in tyrannies and the totalitarianisms um are done by often the general populace, it just as a lesser evil, but still a big evil. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm half Iranian. My wife um, is um, Iran. My my dad is from Iran, and so you know the the evil there of of demanding headscarves and all these things is done by just the regular person on the street. They're your neighbors. They're perfectly sweet. They'll take you to their home. They'll feed you gourmet sabzi and great food, but they're just but they act frankly. You know, just like paint, just attacking you on the street, saying your lock of hair is hanging out. That kind of behavior is what drives all totalitarianisms. It's not mm. always, you know, the, the the police with billy clubs or guns coming in. It's everybody on the street snitching on everybody. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's what we saw. The first time I saw that in my own life was March 19th of 2020. A bunch of us CrossFitters went outside and worked out on the field, social distancing even. 
you know, we brought up our sort of equipment and this lady pulls over, she saw us working out and she just started to accost us. Just We actually just had to run away with all of our gear because <laughs> she wouldn't leave us alone. You're killing people. You guys even being here working out together outside is killing people. Don't you know what you're doing? Attack what a Karen. Like this. Oh. this was all... I mean, now we shouldn't be surprised. We've been watching for a year and a half. But man, when it was August, when it was March 19th, that was like, in contrast, that was the first time I saw it. And I said, this is very frightening. Um, this is exactly the kinds of things people experience in these totalitarian states. And it's done bottom up. This people keep often imagine that, you know, the, the evil dictator is just suddenly pulling all the telling everybody, no, they're usually there because conditions on the ground allowed them to ride a wave in there. It doesn't make them any less evil. This is really what evil is at these levels, just that we don't have a good model for what real evil is like. That is what evil is like. The opposition as a group really can be doing evil things despite often nearly everybody, maybe sometimes everybody being perfectly sweet and happy to take you into their homes and be nice to you, so, you know, in many patients, um, so long as you're following you know, their, their, their rules. Mm -hmm. So it breaks the normal uh, stereotypes, movie kind of level stereotypes or childish stereotypes that most of us still walk around with 90% of the time. But I think, you know, we've now seen it. Um, the world really is trying to say that if you don't do what we consider to be clean, you are banished literally out of society. And they are applauded for suggesting that. Mm -hmm. um, much, you know, half of the United States is applauding it. Much of Canada, Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South, South Africa, I mean, much of the world is applauding this as the right behavior to do towards these jerks who shouldn't even be allowed to go to the hospital if they get sick. This is evil. There's no way around that um, but to say that that's evil. Yeah, and what I've noticed with my recent like stint with COVID is that outpatient-wise, they don't really do anything for you if you say you have COVID or you test positive. There's like this mentality that, you know, just run, let the virus run its course, you know, just there's nothing we can do for you. So if you get sick, you know, you're going to end up in the hospital and then the, the nurses and the doctors are going to bitch and moan about how these COVID patients keep coming in the hospital, but nobody's putting together the reason <laughs> why they're coming to the hospitals because the doctor's outpatient or the nurse's outpatient aren't doing anything for the for their patients in the first place. They're just letting them get sicker and sicker. Some are healthy enough that they can get better. Or if you're like me, you just go do whatever you can to find somebody who's going to give you the medicine you need. But most people are just going to let themselves get sick and sick and sick until they have no choice but to go to the hospital. And then you have the issue with the hospitals where they're firing nurses for not wanting to get vaccinated. So they're short staffed. So it's like they're creating a scenario in which they can continue to say, look at these mm -hmm. unvaccinated people. Look at how they're causing all oh, these we're problems. running the hospitals. Yeah. Right. And they have this whole narrative that they think they can just spin off of. And I don't even, like you're saying, I don't even know if they even are putting all the puzzle pieces together. They're just in the hospital and they're just seeing it and they're saying the same narrative. Mm -hmm. They're getting online and they're complaining. They're, you know making the, the same argument. And so then just like you were just saying, it's like, there's the unvaccinated people. They're the unclean. And here's the vaccinated. They're the good guys. So if yeah. you're unvaccinated, you don't deserve to be treated because you didn't do what you're supposed to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it, it's, it's frightening stuff. Um, and of course it, 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 it turns out that it's not even, I mean, this would be wrong, uh, even if vaccinations were working in the sort of simple model that I certainly had prior to this, which is that you get vaccinated, you're also not thereby spreading it. But in fact, it's these vaccines or in, in some other vaccines, apparently, which I didn't know. No, you, you actually are getting uh, the virus. Mm -hmm. It's infecting you. You're producing just as much virus and shedding and, and, and transmitting it just as much as right. an unvaccinated person. It's just that you're protected. You might have, it seems to be not the 85, 90% they were claiming. It seems to be significantly lower, but it sounds like you're protected. And at least for many age groups, it's probably overall a benefit. But in terms of the whole justification for VAX passports, um, the idea being that it's, um, uh, uh, then, I mean, first of all, 
it certainly undermines the case they're making that no, you're still spreading and we don't want you to be spreading in our communities. Well, you're spreading it just as well and more dangerously so because mm -hmm. you're potentially asymptomatic mm -hmm. a spreader who's asymptomatic for which that didn't, that wasn't even a thing because asymptomatic spreaders who are unvaccinated doesn't exist. Right. So you've actually created asymptomatic spreading yeah. by virtue of having the vaccine. But even on the old model of vaccines, the very point of having vaccination programs is that some get vaccinated and some never do. It's just life, right? That's just what happens when you have voluntary things. Like it, the whole point is not to separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, because then if you take the unvaccinated and you make them hang out with each other, do you know what you have? You have uninhibited spread amongst the unvaccinated, even on the old model of how, how, how vaccines work. And so that's the whole point of it is having the vaccinated mixed within the unvaccinated, because then when the, the virus reaches a vaccinated person, it just stops in its tracks and it doesn't continue to spread. And you have enough of that, even sometimes even maybe 30% of a lot of the modeling, it doesn't have to be 80 or 90% because a lot of the people who get vaccinated are hubs, they're the really social people. And those social people then stop this transitions from other parts of the network. Often a much smaller uh, uh, a number of people vaccinated can still provide herd immunity, but only if the unvaccinated are mixed with the vaccinated. Otherwise you still have a completely uh, uh, unheard immunity herd, mm -hmm. the unvaccinated. So none of these things that any of any of these assumptions make sense to uh, treat the unvaccinated um, the way they are, except for the fact that they are not showing obedience. Mm -hmm. It is all about showing their obedience and they're not showing their obedience. Same for masks, same for any of these things. It's about showing that they're members of the same tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still people that are vaccinated that are getting sick and being hospitalized or getting or needing like the monoclonal antibodies treatments and things like that so that's the part that just kind of that's the part where i would think like all these people that are really um worshiping the idea of being vaccinated in the passports if they're still getting sick and they are still needing treatments and maybe even passing on the virus is there ever, have you, I mean, is there ever like this self-reflection where they, they, they realize like, oh, wait, this isn't the savior that I thought it was? Or no. is it just like a doubling down? Because that's what I've seen. It's just a doubling down, even though it's like not worked. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all of the interventions, um, whether it's, I mean, and less so vaccines. Vaccine is a more complicated story because um, there is some functionality to those. And of course, there's harms. And it's, it's a much more complicated but masks, nothing. Lockdowns, nothing. All of these are don't even narrowly work and have uh, tremendous side side effects, which are dramatic, drastically harmful. So it's a simpler story in those cases because there's mm -hmm. just not even a narrowly effective. Whereas vaccines are at least narrowly effective, um, setting aside the side effects. They at least narrowly do that uh, for some. They're not effective at, at preventing transmission. There's a lot of complicated stuff. But in these cases where they're narrowly ineffective and have massive side effects, it seems to have made, as far as I can tell, almost zero dent on the narrative. The narrative has doubled down. Of course, lockdowns uh, are, are, have somewhat, are, are somewhat effective and, of course, masks. And it's just ridiculous to imagine that masks could have downsides. It's impossible to imagine and so ridiculous to imagine <laughs> that covering your mouth and your nose could have cardiovascular issues. That is just in waiting, wearing it for eight hours a day and not just standing in one spot like a surgeon does who doesn't even wear it for viral, you know, respiratory viruses, exactly. but moving around and you know, wearing it, doing things like a, like a waiter might have to do. That's absurd to imagine. And then I'm going to go run a, a marathon uh, in my mask to show you how absurd it is. And that way everybody should have to. So this is the kind of attitude that they're having. So why are they acting that way? Um, so in the, in the answer, I don't have a full answer for you uh, per se, but um, it's not because they're lying. They're not lying. And, you know, one simple rule in all of these things would be to, um, to first order, they believe what they say. Mm -hmm. And a lot of arguments that, you know, a lot of times I'm, are trying to unpack, you know, why the, these mass hysterias are happening, happening, as well as sort of arguing some of the more epidemiological kinds of mistakes. But sometimes I'm trying to also just point out even to my own side who wants to say, look, they're just lying to us. They're just outright lying. And I, I really think that's very rare. Occasionally, you might have a politician who's covering up something, but I think it's never as simple as what you think. And I'm not, this is not a defense either. They're still culpable. Mm -hmm. They're culpable in, uh, uh, for crimes against humanity, in my opinion. But it doesn't mean that they're purposely saying false things. They actually believe it. 
right? And the way that a responsible politician would have been would have been to put himself or herself in a position where they have independent advisors, where they've kept themselves sufficiently aloof uh, rather than part of a really partisan group. These are the kinds of things, there's a whole variety of things that a responsible politician, because it's their job. That's what, that's the scary part, I think, is, you know, and I think I read one of your articles and you're talking about how dangerous it is for this mentality that's happening between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, um, because there is like this demonization of the unvaccinated. And it's, it's even gotten to the point where I've seen in multiple places where people have just said, you know, well, then you should just die. You deserve to get sick and die because you made this choice. They're definitely it's the the liars to call them that, you know, they are fewer and farther apart. But it's the adherence to the narrative folks that um, both like the narrative and kind of where it places them and a lot of confirmation bias and self-importance, you know, gets them propped up to all. I'll believe the same thing. And, you know, everybody's following the science. So then they have to, of course, like the the, the peons, not the, uh, you know, the expert class or the elite class, like the peons are obviously just scrambling around trying to figure out, like, what's right or wrong. Um, but, you know, following these people that have told me to be afraid, um, I'm afraid, you know, they tell me to be afraid. I think that must mean they're probably right. You know, we're. We're all in this together, as they said. Um, mm -hmm. Apart, that's how it's always been so <laughs> Orwellian. Like, from the get-go, I always was already thinking, like, this is weird, and I don't like it, and everything about it was anti-human, and forcing us to not socialize. And, like, thankfully, my family, we were all on board to see each other fairly routinely. I saw my family more during lockdowns than I have this year, like now that we're allowed to see each other, quote unquote allowed. Um, but I, I know, I understand why a lot of people probably didn't fare well. And, you know, the deaths of despair, those were increased over the past year, um, still happening because the demonization is still there. The fear, the anxiety, the stress is still being placed on everybody because for whatever reason, the narrative and the agenda is to drive us further and further apart. I mean, sure, it's more convenient to rule over us all when we're that divided and hate each other. Um, and like you said, you know, that's exactly the time where, you know, the most tyrannical figure might, you know, ride that wave right in. And uh, we've seen that before. And uh, I kind of can't really say we're not experiencing that. I'd say it's Worse in some ways this year than last year, but I don't know. It's also not. It probably also depends on the state you're in. Um, I will say, I'll give Lockdown Larry, my uh, my governor, some credit, though, that he hasn't, you know, re-locked down our state. And I think maybe it is that just that he realizes, like, don't do something that would contradict the narrative from last year and our whole goal and position thus far, like was to get all these people vaccinated. Right. And so he did like Marilyn is <laughs> super jabbed and, um, Oh no, we lost Mark. Oh man. So I don't forget my thought though, but, um, if Larry Hogan like locked us all down again, it would be as if, <laughs> you know, everybody didn't follow all the rules that he told us all to follow all year. Right. Yeah. So I'll give him credit that he's at least thus far sort of not doing something that would be very obviously contradictive or contradicting to the whole plan and agenda and progression of um, what they rolled out last year. Yeah, it's like in Tennessee, um, our governor has decided not to do the lockdowns. And he's also publicly said he's not going to he's not going to mandate masks anymore. He's going to let parents make their own choices. Good. So that, of course, that makes him a serial killer <laughs> to some people. But, you know, I, I can tell that he he was saying, like, I still think you should get I still think you should wear masks. I still think you should get vaccinated, but I'm not going to mandate it. And so I'm like, well, you're not perfect, but that's better than 
some of these other fuckheads. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, in some ways, like, Biden's saving his ass by not trying to do, like, a federal, which is probably more impossible, um, a federal sort of level mandate. I mean, he wasn't even able to mandate his own White House staff. Clearly, clearly enough people said, no, sir, that's not happening. Um, So we saw that backtrack really quickly. Um, But... But I mean, him, Fauci, others in the administration, they're obviously pro and express it quite clearly. They're very pro employer vax mandate, um, venue vax mandate, passports. It's all nonsense. But, um, you know, just it's I, I wish more people were open to seeing like how much they're getting played by these people. Because. Like, you know, similar to how the vaccine companies don't have liability. Yeah. Like, if something goes wrong, like, if it were any other type of product, if something went wrong, the consumer or whoever, like, was exposed, you know, whatever, however you want to kind of look at this, they would be able to sue the the product manufacturer. Mm-hmm. I, I I literally for you know for a living that's what I do. I we help companies um defend themselves against wrongful lawsuits and accusations, uh you know, bonkers causation claims, and it's like Mark's totally got a point and he's right. Like it's not that people are. It's not that everybody is lying. Maybe yeah. on some level, I think you and I on some <laughs> level might understand and see that people like lie to themselves all the time. Yep. And that's how we get here. And it's part of like that sort of social um, currency mechanism that Mark was describing. Um, So, for example, like me being a little bit more of a passive person and maybe not immediately confronting somebody and, and speaking up and saying something back and maybe like an immediate rebuttal. Every time I and anybody like me kind of doesn't say something in some ways, we're being a little bit more compliant than we maybe should be because what it's doing is enriching that person who's speaking at us and, you know, trying to pitch their ideas at us and on us. Like they get richer every time I, I let them. So something to think about that he, you know, pointed out fairly well. Um, again, all our guests, like, you know, they bring me really down. At some point, like, make me feel really bad about myself at some point in every episode. But then, you know, generally by the end, there's something uh, positive and they reassure me that I'm I'm doing okay. But um, but since we're having issues with Mark's Internet and connection, I hope I'm not left on this dark note. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you know. I think he's right, and I and maybe that's something I've had a struggle with is that these people really are like they really Believers. believe what they're saying, yeah. And so, as hard as it is for me to understand that, um, maybe that's how we have to kind of look at it. Is like these are people who really truly believe like true it. believers, yeah. Yep. It's like they're cult members that really have you know they're a hundred percent in. And like, so, like Nexium. Yeah. We might need to have a different approach with people like that. I don't know. A lot of times, these people find out the truth on their own in a very bad way. Unfortunately, kind of in a, yeah. And, and exactly, like in a very dangerous and bad way. And sometimes when it's too late. Um, and or best case scenario is that they find out and they're able to kind of privately internalize that and decide to change their life quietly, silently walk away from that side and that team and, um, you know, pretend it never happened. Pretend it was a, it was a bad dream. Um, it's not going to be, I think, very easy for a lot of people to do that. And social media has really, you know, good, good job on people keeping track of like screen grabs and screenshots and 
you know, capturing tweets, the Wayback Machine, like, yeah. thank God that's a thing. You know, good job for the internet and um, and the blockchain technologies that are, you know, going to help us, us, like, our side, probably keep a lot of that stuff stored so it never, ever, ever gets forgotten or taken down. Mm-hmm. Because that's the stuff we need, you know, <laughs> to... Uh, to kind of combat that um that like reputation building process and how like that I don't know. I mean, I know that we've literally just went through it about how um you know, it's you know, like a religion, it's like a cult and it's just this mentality and this belief system that people are trapped in and so it's not necessarily going to be facts and logic and reason that gets them out of there. It has to honestly be. They have to figure it out for themselves. I mean. It, and it I'm, has to be something that they literally witness and experience firsthand. And it's not it's not going to be a chart. It's not going to be data. It's going to be. But the, even then, even then, it's not the same because, you know, just this, you know, today I've witnessed uh, an interaction about somebody in my work group that ha- she's a nurse um you know a nurse practitioner and she got covid um surprise she felt bad for a few days and then got over it and then she's back to work right like jesse that kind of, i mean you were worse off because you were not treated not because you were not vaccinated Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know that's but the part the fact that kills that, me right and yeah. so like it's as if these people don't remember that last year and even still today like it's rare for covid to be so bad that you go on a ventilator and die like legitimately it, otherwise i think it's malpractice and i think like you've we've all witnessed that you've w- experienced it to some degree firsthand i think they murdered my aunt and you know, I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in that. People listening probably have experienced that on some level. Um, and so back to the whole, whole, like, the narrative, everything fits the narrative, right? It's confirmation bias. So because she was vaccinated, though, is that that's why it was not that bad. And she got over it pretty quickly. She didn't feel too bad. No death, no hospitalization. It's like, Chances are, if she got it this time last year before the vaccines existed, the exact same thing would have happened. She's lucky, honestly, the vaccine didn't make her worse. That didn't, um, you know, do some kind of ADE, antigen-dependent enhancement, or, you know, like, priming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, well, she's lucky. I think that, um, I do feel like the vaccine does help some people keep them from getting super sick. But it doesn't keep them from getting sick and it doesn't keep them from spreading it. That's what I've noticed. And then, of course, you know, I feel like when I was looking at some people, um, they, I mean, they were saying they were vaccinated and sick. I mean, you could tell they didn't live a healthy lifestyle. They were sick people anyway. Like, yeah. Or they, they were, were very already old. chronically ill. Yeah. And they had multiple comorbidities. So the vaccine may have helped them on some tiny level, but they were pretty sick. So it really didn't make much to get them over that edge and they who where they needed more help. But I and mean, then, my yeah. symptoms were basically bronchitis. And if I had been treated for bronch, like if I had been treated like I would normally get treated for like bronchitis, um, I probably would have been fine. You know, I probably wouldn't have needed an antibiotic, really. I probably just needed some steroids. Probably needed some breathing treatments. Probably need to get the ivermectin on board and the hydroxychloroquine, and I would have been fine in a few days. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they didn't do that. So, like, that's the thing that frustrates me. Yep. <clears throat> so, Mark just uh, reached back out and said that he, he lost uh, lost us again, obviously, and he can't get his wireless internet back up. Um, but you know, he said thanks for having him, and of course, we're really happy that he joined us. Yes. So, I would point people um to his work, and we'll drop links in the show notes when we're through. Um, but I guess a couple things that like he specializes in that I think 
you, the listener, might find interesting and worthwhile. And again, why he brings this unique perspective to the table is like, I've got two books of his and like one of them is called The Vision Revolution and one of them is called Harnessed. And so the vision revolution is all about like our superpower capabilities of vision. And I haven't gotten very far into it, but it's not, it's, it's basically to be telepathic. Like it, our eyes are designed and have evolved to pick up on these very small nuances and cues and like color. Like I'm meant to see you flushing. I meant mm-hmm. to see, like, or are you blushing? Like, flush, maybe somebody is sick. Or a blush, like, you know, that's just like an emotional cue. And it we speak on these very subtle, non-lingual levels. And so, you know, again, w- one of the reasons why I think Mark in particular and his anti-mask stances are so important and so valid is because he literally knows just how important it is for our eyes to see a person's entire face. Yep. And for your eyes to see your entire surroundings. So like when you're wearing a mask, it, it, you know, you, um, he's got this video that you're more prone to fall and lose balance because you can't see properly. You can't see your entire field of vision. If you were right. meant to have a smaller field of vision, you'd have a smaller field of vision, guys. But we don't. We are able to see and look so far down, so far up, so far to the side. Like, it's all it's all here for a reason. I've said it before, like, and in, in I'm sure others, like, who kind of listen to us, like, to listen to other similar things. But, you know, we're a very conservative species. And I, I guess maybe to some degree, that is... On it, and it's weird. Like this is going to sound pretty um, contradictory, but like in some ways, like the conservatism is progression. Like you're able to evolve because you're able to keep just what you need. But if it's not needed, it might continue to change and adapt and evolve to the environment. And you know whatever is useful, most beneficial, most adaptive is what is what remains, and then that gets kept. And then it keeps going and then we keep growing and developing and evolving. And, you know, it happens on a very like individual organismal cellular level, but also as as we engage in societies and we develop culture. So like that alone, like the vision thing, how it impairs your vision, like and what it prevents you from being able to see in another person. I can't. I can't really understand people when they're talking to me in a mask. I can't even really honestly think of them with the same kind of respect I would think of them when I see their whole face. They're almost like dehumanizing themselves. But really, like, it's like he said, it's a signal, right? Mm -hmm. That you're, if I'm wearing this, I'm in this tribe, like, this is what I believe, this is what works. And so I'm looking at them, and I know I'm not in that tribe. But, like, I also also know what tribe they're in and it it's an immediate cue to me as well you know like what that person means to me yeah it and it you know the division goes both ways but you know we just happen to maybe respect people's choices to be stupid and cover their faces whereas they don't respect our desire to leave our faces um free (laughs) <laughs> and then something else like on the um on the language side which is related because so much of like early childhood development and learning of languages is lip reading. So you know, it's not even about deaf people, it's it's a, and having to lip read literally to function as a, as grown adults, but so much of what kids are picking up on in that pre pre-word, I don't have, like, I don't have a good word for it, but, like, that pre-word, pre-dialectic stage, like, they're picking up on our face shapes and our mouth shapes and everything, every single piece of that Mm -hmm. is information. It's data that their brains are taking in, that their eyes are taking in. And so then it's just, so both of those things, too, together, like his, Mark's um, research into 
so his book, I, like I said, I've it's sitting next to me called Harnessed, how language and music mimicked nature and transformed ape to man. So, like, again, we've developed these sounds, these patterns, all in response to our environments and what we've learned. And then think about how much a person's voice is muffled and muzzled behind a mask. Right. Yeah. It's, or- it's, di- it's disrupting everything, like human interactions and communication and our development on every level. And like people are, parents are across the country are like celebrating that if they're, um, you know, governor or mayor or whatever is mandating masks in school right now on their poor, poor children who have clearly been through enough trauma as it is. Right. And and also just another part of it too is like, um, if you think about like the language of a culture, um, like how like a, a Latin based language, they have a much different, they're going to have a much different way of like how they say things or how they view things. Whereas like a Germanic language is going to have a much different yeah. feel to it. And I, um, I can't speak French. I cannot mm-hmm. do what they do with their mouth and that throat. Like I can't do it. And oh my God, you saying that like about the like different languages. Yeah. I can't imagine living in a foreign country right now. Like mm-hmm. I did live in Chile and it was hard to pick up on the, the very Chilean dialect and idioms and all of that, like that, yep. that accent so different. I wouldn't have been able to do that in a mask. I would have right. probably been, I mean, I was already like depressed and lonely while I was living there, but because I was an outsider and alone and. And there's but, a lot of just like nonverbal communication too. Cause like if you are in a country, for example, like Russia or Germany and you smile at strangers a lot, they're going to think that you're mentally ill because they don't <laughs> smile at each other like we do, especially down here in the South. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's a much different feel like in Italy or Spain, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's all these little things that we do every day that like the mask definitely gets in the way of that. And, but it also, I think that that's why we see some countries like Denmark and Sweden who didn't mask up and they're not really making COVID a big priority because their cultures just view value things much differently than we do. And I will say, just remember that Vikings came from that region and Vikings were very much like, if I die, I die. I don't give a shit. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to fight to the death. And if I die, I will die a hero. You See know? in Valhalla. <laughs> yeah. So Peace. like that culture probably views a respiratory virus as something like, you know, that's not going to stop me from living my life. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like we, us we've neurotic got Americans, polar bears up here. Yeah. We view it much differently. We're, I mean, let's just admit it. America is a very neurotic country. So yep. we think that we can control things that we cannot yeah. for one. And that's like the viewpoint of the Vikings is like life is life. And I'm just here to experience it. And I think that kind of respect that idea i mean you know but i'm really feeling a lot more of that vibe same then like, i'm ready our, to start then our loser <laughs> tribe vibe here like i'm ready to rape and pillage some some cities right now <laughs> jesse rape is bad <laughs> well i mean you know what i mean yeah, consensually right you know okay <laughs> If not that's really. the case. No, I just want really. to destroy things at this point. I know you're in, yeah, scorched earth. <laughs> you're very much in a, um, like, burn it all down. But, yeah, no but. I mean, it, it really is where we are. So, I don't know. I guess, like, trying to head out of here on a positive note, um, since we're about at the hour mark anyway, um, even though we've missed missed our guest mark. Well, he did um, mention at the very beginning that eventually truth comes out because these leaders are shown for what they really are and they're humiliated. So I think that 
I mean, if if you really think about it, I mean, it might take a long time, but the Russian or the uh, Soviet Russia fell and yep. it fell all throughout most of Europe, except for like in China and North Korea. Um, but I mean, so that fell. Uh, Nazi Germany really didn't last that long when you really think about it. And I mean, eventually these things will fail because they will be exposed for what they really are. And people will start to realize this isn't working. And maybe at the very end of the day, people are tired of being mad and unhappy all the damn time. I think um, all of that. And I don't know, like some days it feels worse than others. But I am already feeling again, like, I don't know. And you can tell me what you might have experienced, but I felt like I was experiencing like a surge of the lockdown hype again, just because of like who Mm -hmm. I work with and who I work for. And so the type, the laptop elite class that I am in constant communication with, like if they've been told that they need to be afraid, that they're all afraid and, you know, they all behave. Right. And so that fear like basically everybody was already in the mindset like, well, courts are going to be shut down. We're all going to be locked down again. Like, but that spread. And I think maybe the reality of the situation kind of pushed back on it a little because that hasn't happened. And it's really not as bad as they say it is like, like it's never been as bad as they say it is. Right. Like we've been questioning and criticizing the quote unquote narrative for the past year and a half. It's always been wrong. It's it's never been as bad as they've said it's been. Yeah. And and now and and so now with that we live through that, which wasn't bad to begin with, but like now that like where we are now is really not that bad. It, I think like it's maybe just harder to keep telling people it's the end of the world. Like it being the end of the world is exhausting. So you're right. I think a lot of people are getting tired. And, you know, they just want to live their lives again because you only get one. Um, And then especially like maybe the older, like earlier, more fearful and and for good reason, you know, like the older you get, the higher, you know, rates of mortality are. Right. And but, you know, just generally only got one life and I'm not going to live a boring life. I'm just not. I'm not going to stay at home and sit on my ass and like watch the news i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna live my life and i'm gonna try to still see the world as much as i can i'm just not i'm not i'm sorry i just don't want to be i don't want to be bored that to me is like the most sad and depressing thing to just yeah sit there and accept what these people say even if it's true i would much rather die of covid again than <laughs> like sit at home and just be scared all the time yeah. No, I at least agree. when I am dying and choking on my own limb, I can say I did something with my life and then I can yeah. die. And then you can die. <laughs> um yeah, no, I mean for real, all the even though obviously I'm speaking to you through my laptop right now and I'm grateful to do so. The best times I've had all year have been when I'm away from my TV, away from my computer. Unfortunately for me, my work is, you know, computer based and I make it work for me so that I'm still able to kind of stay on top of things like I feel like I need to. Like if I'm going to be surrounded by all this, you know, wrong information, like verifiably wrong information, I need to also be have access to what makes a lot more sense and what seems to be a lot more based in reality. And yeah. so, but, you know, I'd still, pref- I'd prefer to not have to do that because I'm constantly waging war. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm surprised, I just got my blood work back and I am really surprised my stress cortisol level is not higher than it was. Like, holy crap. Thank you, Lavender. I'm doing something right. If I can, if like the stress I do feel has managed to actually like not creep in and take over my body because stress is like worse than cancer. Yes, it really is. It is bad for you. It's so it bad. It actually can for you. cause cancer. It really it can. 
So, I guess on that note, um, check out Mark's work. He's doing awesome things, and I've purchased his book, some of his books. I think they're super interesting, and one of those things where we might have been recording when I said it, but I love his idea, or what he introdu- introduced his um, time with us tonight, where he kind of went back to school and dug into like math, data, and analytics figuring all that science out so that he could actually like philosophically better understand and enjoy life. And I mean, I'm all for that. So it's a good reminder that, you know, whatever you're doing, find something about it that, you know, like will make it worthwhile Mm -hmm. and, you know, give yourself some freedom, give yourself some pleasure and some leisure you only get one of these lives and yeah try to avoid wearing a mask <laughs> yeah just breathe like just breathe. breathe i mean that's another reason why i think like my health is as good as it is because i haven't been inhibiting my breath as that as much as other people have so jesse recent survivor of tom hanks disease <clears throat> yeah um where should people find us? Well, we are we're now doing really well on on Instagram. We've gotten so many new followers recently. Yes, um, thank you all. So Instagram is still popping right now. Woo woo! We're at Voluntary Vixens. There, we do have a backup account called uh, Is it Girl Foxes Who Nap or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, Girl Foxes Who Nap. If you want to follow our backup account, just in case, probably a good idea because we. Don't we're clearly controversial <laughs> talking about stuff that we shouldn't be. And then um we're also on Facebook at Voluntary Vixens and um Twitter at Vixens Voluntary. And I believe I mean if you want to donate to our Patreon, you can. We've uh we have used it for charity purposes before. So. Yeah. Actually related and speaking of charity, I think um, you know, if anybody wants to throw some uh donations our way either through a monthly donation through um patreon or jesse you still have our um venmo account yeah vixies in need vixies in need so given what's going on in louisiana with the recent hurricane which was like categorically and demonstrably worse than katrina it sounds Mm -hmm. like and like the damage we just keep hearing reports we've got friends there and it sounds just awful so I know I was thinking of um, making a donation to the Cajun Navy. So I think that would be a good place for us to send some money. If anybody wants to throw a donation our way, we'd be happy to pass that along for you. Or just go ahead and donate to the Cajun Navy. Um, If we come up with, if we hear of any others, we'll, um, you know, share them on our page or whatever. Um, And shout out to Voluntarism and Action VIA on um, Instagram. They're probably already on this as well. So, and they're just awesome people generally. Um, you know, so we've we've got each other, and that's not nothing, guys. You know, so when <laughs> when the uh, depths of despair have you, just remember that your Vixies are here. And all the cool people that listen to us, they're all here too. So, yep. Thanks for uh, keeping us sane. And until <laughs> next time, hope you all do the same by keeping it sane, keep it peaceful, and keep it voluntary.